Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, I was going to start uh, going through our review of uh, the Jordan Peterson's seminar, and uh, so I went back to review the episodes one, but uh, we're going to talk about uh, what is unclean and what is clean. That was uh, a topic that I've been working on for over a week or so, but... uh, uh, and then hopefully uh, by next week we'll get into our review of Jordan Peterson's Exodus because uh, it's going through that again. And uh, there's a lot of information that they're missing. There's a lot of information that they bring to the table. But there seems to be a blind spot throughout Christianity and even Judaism today as to what Moses was really doing. And the more I listen to these other people and the more I I, uh, review the topic, the more I see where they're missing and why they're missing it. So we're going to go into that, uh, but we'll save that for next week's show. And uh, this week's show, like I said, will be on Unclean. I've I've, I've done another page on that. And and there's a lot of uh, use of this word, both in the New and the Old Testament, where they talk about things that are unclean. So what what does that really mean, unclean, unwashed? And, of course, we have baptism, which is supposedly a washing up. That was at Mount Sinai, where the people were washing up. That was a traditional Jewish baptism. But uh, it it wasn't about the water. And even John the Baptist said that, uh, I only baptize you with water. But there's one who comes after me who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And we've done uh, shows on that. But uh, in order to understand what that really means, we should probably look at this word unclean and find out what it is. I had somebody promoting a book, uh, writing me back and forth. Somehow he, he got uh, a hold of me and he had this new book out. And uh, it's really an old theme that where we have to use the sacred names. It's a it's a topic that comes up over and over again. And if you don't use the sacred names, uh, you're not going to be saved. You have to use those sacred names. And this is typical of people who unmoor the meaning of words from the authors. And the author of the scriptures is supposed to be the Holy Spirit. And the meaning goes much deeper than the superficial Rituals and ceremonies that have become pervasive throughout modern religion. And the sacred names is just another extension of that. And uh, we need to understand the true meaning. And really have that relationship with the Holy Spirit. And there's lots of ways to examine whether or not you really do have that relationship. But there's a lot of people out there that are trying to distract us from that true meaning that has been a part of the message of of 
true religion, pure religion, from the beginning. And so we're just going to do this review of unclean and see if we can't find our way through some of the maze of information that is out there. So the Hebrew word translated unclean appears about 200 times as either an adjective, as either an adjective or, or a verb or, or even a noun. As a noun, we see it as uncleanness or filthiness. Uh, as a verb, it sometimes is translated defile and pollute. But what really pollutes the hearts of men is the fact that they turn their back on God. They turn their back on the Holy Spirit. And the reason they do that is they hate the light. They don't love the light. Because the light shows them what they are. This is why Adam and Eve fled the Garden of Paradise. They weren't really kicked out. They fled. Just for the same reason they hid when they first ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When they chose to eat of that tree rather than the tree of life. And so... To understand that is also to in depth is to also understand why we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, why we can imagine that we're born again and still doing works of iniquity. Because the Bible tells us that if you are born again, you're not going to be doing those works of iniquity. And people make all kinds of excuses, but the reality is if you love him you will keep his commandments. If you love him, you will be willing to see the light. You will not fear the light. You will not run from the light. And this uncleanness is simply the evidence of that uh, filthiness, that uh, defilement, that pollution that comes with eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It comes with pride. There's lots of different aspects to it. But understanding what it is and to change this idea of uncleanness into these rituals and ceremonies. Well, we're not going to eat this. We're only going to walk this far. We're going to keep holy the Sabbath by taking the day off. When the way you keep the holy the Sabbath is by working the six days so that you have a right to take the seventh day off. Like I said a hundred times, a thousand times, that the Sabbath is about debt. It's about working first and then taking your rightful rest. That's why they go into that explanation that God worked first and then he took his rest. Everybody wants to take his rest, but they've borrowed against the future. And they owe their labor to somebody else. And they owe their labor to somebody else that... Their labor is the power that God has given you. You know, when you go out and work, I used to pack up my uh, truck to go do uh, carpenter work or different types of maintenance work for people all over the county. And uh, in the morning, I would have all these tools because I did so many different things. And I couldn't get them all in my truck at one time. So I would have the toolboxes laid out and I would take certain toolboxes because I was going to do certain things that day. I was choosing to put certain boxes in the truck. 
and uh, because of what I was choosing to do that day. And then I would go out and do that. And and sometimes I would argue with myself, seem to argue with myself. I, well, I don't need that box. For some reason, my attention was drawn to that box. And I would think, well, I know what's in that box. I don't need any of those tools. That's not what I'm going to be doing today. And I would, a lot of times, leave that box at home. And inevitably, when I got on the job site eventually, I needed a tool in that box. And I I began to realize that I needed to listen to that Holy Spirit (laughs) in my heart and my mind. And even planning out my day. And that is what we should all be doing is eating of that tree of life, which tells us, do this, go this way, pick that up, uh, put that down. And it guides us in our life. And it's what we call the tree of life. It's the Holy Spirit. It's this guiding light of the collective consciousness of God, the singularity. There's lots of different ways to refer to it. But if we turn our back on that light, because it's also going to show us our frailty, our weakness, our uh, our sins, what when we what we have done wrong in the past, then if we flee that source of light, that tree of life, if we denounce it, deny it, don't listen to it. It will set us up for making more and more mistakes. And there is no protection in a multitude of errors. So what is unclean has a lot more ramifications to it than just eating pork. And a lot of times people refer to, you know, the dietary laws as what is unclean and what is not clean. So anyway, if we look at the actual word, this Hebrew word, unclean, we see it's composed of at least three letters much of the time. Occasionally they do add another letter to it. But the original letters were Tet, Mem, Elif. And Tet is this concealed power of good, or paradoxically, evil. Uh, it is... The letter itself is referred to as a twisted snake. And uh, and it has this idea of cycle, this wheel, this turning. That And God can take what is evil and turn it to good. But you can take what is good and turn it to evil. So you can take the Bible and use it to justify evil things. You can take... The idea of religion, which is how you take care of the needy of society. And you can do it in such a way that it becomes an evil thing, a degenerative thing, a thing that destroys rather than gives life. So that's what the the Tet has to do with both this paradox of good can become evil and evil can become good. So people will say, oh, well, it's good to use the sacred names. It's good not to eat pork. It's good to follow the Torah. But they can twist whatever good is in there into, literally, into idolatry. And uh, when we do that, then evil flows in us, which is the second letter, Mem, this this fountain of water, this flow, this movement of 
uh, power. So that our choices, when we make a choice to go one way, then the power in us takes us in that way, takes us in that direction. So when the people decided to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, decide for themselves what was good and what was evil, to not listen to the tree of life, to the Holy Spirit, they started down a road that led to death and destruction. And so the last letter of the word is the elif, which is the father-son relationship. That's what it represents, the paradox of God and man, where God takes a portion of the power of God and puts it in man, breathes it into man, where man can now make a choice. He, he now has the power to make a choice more than any other creature that we see on the face of the earth. Man has this dominion on earth and the power to make choices in that dominion. How to dress and keep it. If he does not eat, continue to eat of the tree of life, his decisions will be bad. He will pick up that which he does not need and he will leave behind that which he needs. He will reject what is valuable and take up what has no value to it. But if he eats of the tree of life, then what he chooses to do will have that nature of cleanness. The same letter Elif has to do with an ox and a bull and strength. And we talked before about the turtle dove, uh, the first appearance of the turtle dove with Abraham. And and the words that we see there of heifer and uh, she-goat and... Uh, these sacrifices that Abraham is supposed to be making that are represented by these things like animals actually have a lot to do with the strength, the power that God gives us. He gives us a power to do some things. We have that power in our arm and in our legs and in our body, uh, and we have this physical strength upon the earth, but we also have the power of choice and how to use that and apply that. If we make that choice based upon our own will, our own desires, then our choice becomes unclean. And it becomes a bad thing, a devastating thing, a destructive thing. If we make it according to the Holy Spirit, the guidance of that Holy Spirit, not the unholy spirit, which are all around us as well, then what we choose to do becomes clean. This is why Paul talks about all things are clean, all things are good, but only if I'm following the Holy Spirit, only if I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. See, there was a guy who was a Pharisee who was doing everything according to uh, what he had been taught as a Pharisee. And... uh if, and he thought he was, but he was actually going against God. And God had to knock him off his high horse with a blinding light so that he could not see it all. And then he had to be willing to admit that he had been wrong all that time. And we're all kind of in that same position. So we're going to confront a lot of things that people think is true that just ain't so. And we're not attacking your delusion, we're presenting, trying to, seeking to 
present the truth about what is clean and what is unclean so that you can clean up and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And and that needs to be our goal in this life, and which is part of the reason why I thought we should address this as to what is clean and what is unclean without twisting it, which is really what evil has done with the text about the righteousness of God. Because idolatry, which is covetousness, makes everything unclean. And this, so to clean up, to seek that state of purity under God is a process that we all need to pursue. And that's what we will start to do when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom after a brief break. idea of what is unclean. The people may not see the truth of this twisting of sound doctrine, which is what we have today, which is one of the things that we're going to go through as we go through that Peterson seminar, is what is sound doctrine? What what are they missing? What are they leaving out? Because they say a lot of great things and, and great swelling words, and but they're missing an absolute essential element of the gospel and of the message of Moses in Exodus. And, and we were warned about this, about things creeping in, slithering in like the serpent to convince us of a lie, this strong delusion. And that is what makes everything unclean. You can, you can have the nice robes and the nice clothes and the nice forms of speech and uh, and everything can kind of work for you but uh, it doesn't it actually is is not uh, successfully making you clean again it's not uh, going to straighten things out it's kind of like the idea of make America great again if you don't know what made America great before you probably aren't going to make America great again by electing a powerful leader and ruler <laughs> because it was not a great powerful rulers and leaders that controlled every aspect of your life that made America great. It was the fact that everybody was taking back their responsibilities that are co-relative to your rights. And the same is true with Moses. When Moses was taking the people out of one form of government in Egypt and was now going to show them another form of government out there in the desert that was going to carry all three branches of government held not by rulers and leaders, but by the people. The people were now going to be responsible for the judiciary with their system of courts which we see Moses uh, setting up through the tens, hundreds, and thousands, uh, thanks to the wisdom of Jethro. And we see Moses also uh, eventually with Joshua setting up a military, which was basically a 
militia based along those same lines of the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But where was the welfare system of Moses? Because it is the welfare system of Moses that makes men clean, that brings atonement, that sets the men's minds and hearts so that God can write upon them through that Holy Spirit. And so where was that? What was that? Well, of course, that was the altars of clay and stone. That was the welfare system. And that's why we did the study on turtle dove. The turtle dove was the welfare system of Sumer, the welfare system of Nimrod, the welfare system of Ishtar, the welfare system of all these other systems like they had in Egypt, which is why they had temple granaries. That's where you got your free bread from the temple granaries. And when there was a shortage or where there was some sort of need for assistance, it came through the temples. That's how Sodom ended up owning the people. But their social welfare system also weakened the people and destroyed the people and degenerated the people. And so, if you are going to be clean, what cleans you? That Where do you get the water, the mem, that cleans you? that straightens out the twisted truth, the false doctrines that you've received, which, of course, every church says it's okay now. In essence, they say it's okay now, either by omission or by direct statement, to covet your neighbor's goods to the men who exercise authority one over the other as long as you do it through elected governments which are the men you have chosen for yourselves. And that is one of the problems that uh, that nobody wants to take a look at. Nobody wants to see. They flee the light of that. I mean, it's just absolutely obvious that to covet your neighbor's goods is forbidden by the Ten Commandments, forbidden by Christ, warned against by Peter, warned against by Paul over and over again, who says covetousness is idolatry. So when you go to those men who exercise authority, who take away from your neighbor by force, by that exercising authority, so that you can have stuff for free, so that you can have the benefits, the dainties of men who exercise authority, who rule over you, you are unclean. You do not have sound doctrine. Jacob's sons spoke deceitfully that they had to to be circumcised, which they agreed to do, desiring to join with them as a people. Now this has to do with the Shechem, who was the son of Hammer, who laid with Dinah, the daughter of Leah. But he wanted to marry her. He wanted to do right by her. And they were willing to convert, convert to the ways of Jacob. And to, and, and they found uh, they wanted to find grace in the eyes of Jacob. But the sons dealt 
deceitfully and got them to circumcise themselves. They thought they were joining in. And then they set upon them and murdered them. When they, after they had been circumcised and they were sore, they set upon their city and they killed all the men in the city. And so Jacob told Simon and Levi, you have troubled me to make me stink, attack us and destroy us uh, so that the people might attack us and destroy us because of the fact that they stink amongst the people round about them. And, and they were unclean. That's that's another interpretation of that word, to stink. So what did he do to fix the situation? So Jacob was uh, told by God to build an altar in Bethel and to put away their strange gods. And he discovered when he, from Esau, and in order to be clean, Jacob hid them under the oak, which was by Sechem. Now that statement which we can actually read in the text if you if you go to Genesis uh, 34 30 you and, and continue on to read in um, uh, 35 1 and God said to Jacob arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar unto God that appear unto him Put away the strange gods, these alien gods, uh, these foreign gods, these other gods. And we talked about that, that, you know, Leban, who went to shear his sheep and discovered that his daughters had stolen these gods. Well, he didn't go to actually shear sheep. He went to go and collect rents and taxes or whatever you want to call it, tribute from those people who were under his protection. And when he went to put it with his other silver, he discovered that his daughters had taken that silver away. And and that which is, those gods of silver were their social security. That was their protection. That was the way they hid their wealth. And According to, if we read on down here, it sounds like Jacob took it and buried it under an oak tree. When I first read that half a century ago, I thought, like, you're burying something under an oak tree? Does anybody ever dug up around an oak tree? (laughs) Uh, That is a very hard thing to do. It didn't make sense. And I'm pretty sure this is... And now, when I listen to the Holy Spirit in my own heart, I'm pretty sure that this oak tree, and even the word Chechem, doesn't actually mean an oak tree. And that he isn't actually digging a hole in the ground and burying these things in the ground. He is building an altar, but we've talked about that. Now, if I was talking to a lot of people who have read the Bible and I talk about altars, they immediately imagine a pile of stones, something where you go and you take sacrifices, lay on those stones and burn them up, and that makes God happy. If that was true, then I can't make sense out of any of what How in the world is Jacob going to stop stinking if he sets up altars and burns up sheep? How is 
are the people round about him going to become uh, afraid or respect or not attack him? As a matter of fact, if you sit around fires and burn up sheep, you're probably going to stink even more. No, nobody's going to appreciate you. Nobody's going to love you. Nobody's going to care about you. Nobody's going to respect you. They're going to think you're an absolute crazy person, except for the fact that we've already accepted the idea that that's what the altars were. That they, they were these systems of, of atonement where we had to burn up sheep, burn up sacrifices in order to make God happy. No, those altars were the social welfare system, which is that fourth branch of government that tends to the welfare of the people. But if you do it through men who exercise authority, you're not doing it according to Christ. If you do it according to charity, according to faith, and according to hope, then you are doing it according to Christ. Uh, At least in form. Now, Doing it according to Christ through charity means that you have a daily choice uh, as to who to give to and who not to give to. Now, you're, people who are busy, people who are work, people who are industrious, and of course the Israelites were working six days. How are they going to know who has a need and who doesn't have a need? Well, they know because they have a network of ministers through the tens, hundreds of thousands, connecting them all across their entire nation or, or, or across the wilderness. And those men, those priests, are taking care of the needy of society with the offerings that are laid upon them as the living stones of an altar. Like the altar... The Jehovah Nisi, we talked about that. We covered that in our article on Sumer. And when I first read that, Jehovah Nisi, what? Why is he calling it Nisi? I had to go look that up. I looked everywhere. I looked in, in Jewish scholars and Christian scholars, and they all had different opinions. Half a dozen uh, distinct different opinions, but they're actually opinions that range you know, in in the dozens of opinions as to what why they picked that particular, why he wrote down Jehovah Nisi, Yahweh Nisi, because it was the altar of Jehovah that replaced the Nisi of Sumer, which was the the turtle dove goddess of Sumer, which was the socialist goddess of Sumer where men who exercised authority took away from one class of citizen to give to the needy of another class. That takes away choice in the individual. If you take away the choice of the individual, you take away a right bestowed upon the individual by God. You take away the breath of God in the individual. We must exercise that choice. And so what... What Jacob was really doing when he was setting up this altar, it says, Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods. Now that's his household and all that were with him, that were allied with him, that were a part of whatever Jacob was doing. 
to put away all these other, you know, treasuries that you have and uh, amongst you and be clean and change your garments. Garments are represent, there's several different words for garments and garments represent what you clothe yourself in, your culture. Put away your culture and, and in order to be clean, to put away these other systems of social welfare. And let us arise and go up to Bethel. Bethel is a place, but it also has a meaning. I'll let you guys look that up for yourself. And I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods, which in their hand... They say, which were in your hand. It's not really in the original text. But the strange gods and their earrings, which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them. Now, they have a a particular word there that is said to mean hid them under this oak. And it's it's unique in this one verse. it's, It's spelled different here than anywhere else. And he says, which was by this Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them. And they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So, when we look at these these words, this terror that was there, the terror of God. And the cities, when we look at the word cities, the word cities there, well, it actually means terror. Cities, the Hebrew word for cities actually means terror. So now the terror of God kept the terror, the cities round about them from attacking them. How did it do that? What, what was because they had this altar of dead stone and they were burning up sheep on it because they supposedly put these strange gods away, this other, these other systems of social welfare, the, these other personal treasuries of social welfare. Jesus talks about not laying up treasures in the world. He doesn't mean he's against you saving up money or anything like that. But your dependence upon these treasures in the world for your safety, for your protection, for your social insurance. He's saying that, no, you need to invest in your neighbor. You need to provide for the care of your neighbor and develop the social bonds of a free society. And this is where Jacob, because when we're we're talking about Moses and the Lord Yahweh, he says that he was the God of Abraham and of Jacob, and so this is where he became the God of Jacob. When Jacob began following the clean way of setting up these altars of charity, 
And not only with his own family, but the others that went along with him. Same as Abraham had set up altars with the people round about him. And these were altars of charities. These were systems of charity where they picked men of charity to freely receive the contributions of the people to take care of the needy of their society in a free association. And that created social bonds. So that when an army came through and destroyed Sodom and, and Gomorrah and, and took the nephew of Abraham captive, Abraham was able to muster an army overnight. He didn't muster it by exercising authority. He mustered it because he had been exercising love. He would not set up a system of social welfare through men who exercise authority one over the other. He set up a system of social welfare through charity, through choice, through the individual choice of men as to who to give to, when to give, how much to give. Now, there are guidelines to this giving. You had your your congregation of ten men, your tithing, as it would be called later on in Europe. Even in America, we had our tithing men in America. And they would help take care of the needy of society through a system of social welfare. And this, of course, is what Moses is setting up, in which I... I have, I have gone through all 17 episodes of Jordan Peterson as scholars, and they have hit lots of great topics, lots of great information, but they keep skirting around that. that. They never even address it. They walk right past it and can't see it. Because you have to look into the light. Well, actually, you have to look into the darkness of your own heart and let the light in. To be willing to see if what we are saying about Jacob and Abraham and Moses is really true, we have to admit that what we're doing now in the world today, Australia, uh, New Zealand, Europe, Germany, certainly the Soviet Union, certainly Venezuela, are not systems of social welfare through charity. And that's what made America great. That's what we did for the first hundred years. We did that for all sorts of things that we now look to the government to provide. But that is contrary to the teachings of Christ. Over and over again, Christ said it was not to be that way with us. But it is. We're not practicing pure religion. So... This same oak of Session seemed to be testified against in the worship of strange gods, which we may see in Joshua 24, uh, verses 26 and 14 and 23. If the altars are a part of a social welfare system of the people in the practice of pure religion, then how does burying their offering under an oak tree do any good? Is is that really what he was doing? Was he hiding it under the ground, under an oak tree? How did this make the terror of God keep the cities 
all around them, a lot of other cities at bay. Did, did somehow or other, uh, Jacob bless, uh, Sechem and Hammer and whatever the people that were left, I mean, they had supposedly killed all the men, but there were still some people left. What exactly was going on there? The Hebrew noun for both the small g God and the capital G God, which is spelled Elif Lamad Hay, and the Hebrew verb meaning to swear, the Hebrew noun oath, are also both spelled Elif Lamad Hay. So does and, and of course the word oak is also spelled Elif Lamad Hay. So all these words swear, oath, oak, uh all of them are spelled exactly the same. Elif Lamad Hay. So what does that have to do with anything? Even even the word ram is elif yad lamad, uh, uh, which is actually supposed and actually translated oak at least once. And and of course we've already talked about the idea that the ram represents something. You know when we're sacrificing a she goat, we're sacrificing our strength. Because a she-goat represents strength. Uh, when we're separated from the turtle dove, means that we don't take any of the benefits of the dove goddess. That we become the benefactors of our own society. This is what Abraham realized with his vision in, in that, that, that dark trance that he was in. It's what Moses was teaching the people. How to become the benefactors who do not exercise authority one over the other, but exercise love. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, hiding the the silver... And treasure, which could have included gold as well, the earrings and the silver and all this stuff. Hiding it under an oak tree did not protect Jacob. And and part of the problem is the word oak. And it, it has lots of other meanings. I mean, the same exact spelling has lots of other meanings. And the word hiding or hid. Uh, we see it in, in a number of... And that's what... Not only do we look at the spelling, look at the individual letters, but we look how it's used in other places. And uh, we can actually see in uh, Psalms, the word is used there again. Unique spellings of the word are used even in in those uh, texts, like Psalms 9.15. The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made, in the net which they hid is their own foot taken. And and there's that word hid. The, the net which was hid. And we, we can see this in Proverbs, where the net is spread in the sight of the bird, and he's still caught in it. You know, when we decide to have one person, and we're told to consent not. 
But the heathen consents and is suck, sunk down into the pit, into the net that was hid, that he did not see. In Psalms 31.4, pull me out of the net that they have laid privily for me, for thou art my strength. And again, we can look at the word strength. How else is that spelled? What other words is that also translated into? But today, people all over the world are in a net. They call it the Great Reset. And they don't seem to have any power to, to stop these ridiculous rules that come down from whether it's the CDC or banking systems or what have you. And, and we can talk about those problems and, you know, the dangers of going to all electronic currency, which you will hear over and over again in the, in the months to come. Well, we just heard on a news story before the show that we could be attacked by the Chinese through cyber space. Well, that's your electronic currency. In other words, they could crash the whole system of all your economy in your cashless economy and you have no money, nothing of value. Uh, and all this has come about not because of something recently, but because for the last 100 years, we've been going to men who exercise authority for most of our social welfare. Until we repent of that, we will not see clearly. Psalms 35, 7 and, and 8. For without cause have they hid for me their net in a pit, which without cause they have digged for my soul. Let destruction come upon him at unawares. And let his net that he hath hid catch himself into that very destruction. Let him fall. Now, of course, this is in Psalms. This is David talking about this. But this equating with digging for my soul, this pit. And, of course, we talked about the pit when we talked about the end of the our, our programs on Turtle Dove, where I was pointing out that we were told to be like Using another completely different word for dove, we were to be like the dove that does not, goes beyond the pit, makes its home beyond the pit, where it says in the side of this hole and the mouth. And but these are the same words: the pit. We should be making a home for ourselves beyond the pit, beyond the unrighteous mammon, because the unrighteous mammon is the pit. It is. It has the rewards of the unrighteous mammon, the benefits of the unrighteous mammon, which everybody wants to gobble up, but nobody wants to address. Now, the more you begin to see that it is our social welfare system, our student loans, all these things through the government agencies has set us up, has set us up for Absolute destruction. You can look at it and it can be a little overwhelming. What do we do? Do we create our own money? Uh, do, do, do we uh, set up our own system of social welfare? Well, what we do is seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And in order to do that, we have to admit that the kingdom of God 
doesn't have anything to do with the men who exercise authority and force the contributions of the people so that you can have free stuff. So we're going to have to start fasting from that and developing, building the altars of clay and stone. The altars of clay are the congregations of ten. The altars of stones are the ministers who actually conform to what Christ said a minister should be. But you still have to choose that minister. And you're going to need the Holy Spirit. We can read in Psalm 64, 5, they encourage themselves in an evil matter. They commune of laying snares privately. They say, who shall see them? Well, certainly the people calling for reparations, they don't see them. They don't realize that it isn't white privilege that has brought the black community down. But it's the social welfare system that was targeted at the black community, that has destroyed the black community. It's gone from 3% single family, single parent families, to 75% single parent families. That's what destroyed the black community, not institutional racism, but social welfare. And, you know, the, you know, we will talk about this also in the review of Jordan Peterson because they, they get so close. They see so many of the things, but they can't make that jump. Of course, these are, these are professional men who pride themselves in what they do know. But we need to humble ourselves if we are going to see what we don't know. So even in Psalms 140, 142, uh, verse 3, When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path in the way, wherein I walked with they privately laid a snare for me. And of course, that's what FDR did. That's what LBJ did. They, they privately laid this snare. If we go in into, you know, uh, the New Testament, we also see a word in there that is unclean. And it's akathartos is, is the Greek word. And it's translated unclean, but also it's translated foul. And uh, it's inclusive of meaning uh, almost always when you're reading the Greek text. And in Greek texts, which we have a lot of Greek texts of the time, this word always is related to what is moral and immoral in relationship to behavior that is good or evil. It has a great deal, often used with the term that we call ethics. Now, what is good and what is evil? And of course, eating of the tree of knowledge of what is good and what is evil will lead us astray. But written in our hearts, this individual personal revelation written in our hearts and in our minds as to what is good and evil. Can you tell me, can you tell yourself, can you say out loud in your heart that it is not covetous to desire benefits 
by from men who exercise authority by taking away from your neighbors so that you can how is that not covetous just the language should tell you that but if you cannot see that if you cannot see that is not the way of Christ then you you need to do some serious fasting and in the days ahead everybody's going to get to do some serious fasting but it'd be better if you chose to fast today. Now, this requires a huge amount of humility to admit that we have gone so far off the path. The early church would not eat at the tables of the public temples. They would not apply for the free bread of Rome. If you read an article on on Christian conflict, that's why Christians were being persecuted is that they the people hated them because they were setting up a system of social welfare through charity, through the Corbin of Christ. Jesus called out the Pharisees for their system of social welfare, which was Corbin, the sacrifices of the Pharisees, the Corbin of the Pharisees. Corbin means sacrifice. But if you don't know the altars were a part of a system of social welfare and that the sacrifices were not just burnt up but were redistributed by the ministers of those altars who were those altars who were those living altars and then you can ask yourself we won't get into it here there's it it will need a show by itself atonement the atonement was by the priests and if you think that burning up the sheep, burning up the she-goats, burning up the ox made atonement, setting them on fire and burning them up, well, I can understand why you would be confused. But if you realize that they were simply given, there was a great need for systems of social welfare when they had left everything they had and couldn't carry behind them. And walk down that wadi to the Gulf of Aquaba to cross that sea. That was an arduous journey. That was a difficult journey. If you were, you know, your entire economy was disrupted. You weren't making bricks anymore. You were probably in good shape from stomping all that clay and straw. But, and you had your carts to help carry stuff. But uh, you were, there was a huge need amongst the people to get everybody through, to carry everybody, every old person, every child on this journey. And so they needed this system of social welfare because everybody wasn't wealthy, everybody didn't have servants, everybody didn't, you know, they needed help. And it was a struggle. And from the beginning, this was the role of the priests, but it united the people. The difficulty united the people. If you will not unite now when times are good, will you have enough time to unite when things are not good? Because things are going to get not good. The early church was realizing this. John the Baptist went out years before Jesus. The, the Essenes had been around for several hundred years before that. 
the Essenes wouldn't take the social, most of them would not take of the social welfare of the Pharisees and the Sadducees through the Corbin of the temple. They did it themselves through, through the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Israel was still organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. The synagogue was ten families. But synagogues that had joined the temple of Herod had to pay in. And we've, we've talked about this, the Gabbai, Molokai priests who would come to your house and to your fields and measure them off to know how much they were going to get because you were compelled by the legislature, which had, the Sanhedrin had become a legislature, never intended to be, to pay in because you were a member. You had signed up with Herod and the Sadducees and the Pharisees. But many of the Essenes would not sign up. They still did it through charity. And they became many of the earlier Christians. But some of the Pharisees repented and joined with the Christians. Some of the Sadducees probably. Some of the Zealots probably. But they were ready for the destruction of Jerusalem that was coming. That was pretty localized destruction. And they were dispersed throughout the the world. The Christian Jews were dispersed dispersed with throughout the world but they had a place to go the Jews who followed the ways of the Pharisee they were just destroyed they were dispersed as well to some degree but they were decimated destroyed uh, by the armies of Titus but the Christians with all the persecutions of the Christians they fared rather well they actually became more fruitful and more fruitful for 300 years And then Constantine comes along and says, okay, we're going to go the way of the Christians. A little. They didn't go exactly what the Christians were doing because we saw them receiving millions and millions of dollars worth of government aid from Constantine, these new Christians. And they weren't picking their... uh, ministers through the tens, hundreds, and thousands. We see that right away with Ambrose. They were electing a single minister. And we will eventually revisit that. We've talked about it before. Some of these new bishops under the Church of Constantine were actually controlling shipments of grain around the empire. Why? Because this new system of Constantine was the social welfare of these new Christians who were not real Christians. But the real Christians were not doing that. They were not, they were, they were not withholding, uh, grain shipments to this city or that city because they didn't accept our doctrine. The choice was back on that individual basis, individual congregation, individual altars of clay and stone. It's a different form of government. And it is very difficult for people to step outside of the form that they have chosen for themselves. But over and over again, this is how you, you it will ultimately, we will need divine inf- intervention. But you won't get it unless you're following the ways of Christ. The ways of righteousness. So, it is... It, Instead of what you're doing now, which is the way of idolatry, where you're 
you're go you're engaged in the covetous practices of going to the temples of public religion of government to take care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society. And we've given hundreds of cases over the years of places where widows were not taken care of, were were not provided for by the system that you have created for yourselves. As a matter of fact, the widows and orphans are often robbed. Any place that has an inheritance tax is robbing widows and orphans. They're taking away from the the survivors when a husband dies, when a father of the family dies. They owe a huge, I mean, they lose their farms. They lose their businesses because they have to pay this taxes. We've, we, we only have one gas station within 75 miles of where I live. You can go 75 miles that way, 75 miles that way. Those are the only two choices you have. And there's one gas station uh, in, in that 150-mile range. And uh, it's been shut down for the last month because <laughs> the government wouldn't let it open because the father died with an inadequate will and they owed an inheritance tax. And uh, it finally opened up for gas only uh, two days ago. So... How is that? How is that? I mean, the system robbed the whole community. As a matter of fact, for the last uh, week, all our telephones have been out in this this part of the valley. Everybody in this valley. The stores, they they have no telephones. Uh, they're out. I, I was concerned with the technical difficulties we were having here, but we're not going through the telephone system for this show. But, uh, uh, yeah, we're commonly cut off. Imagine if you multiplied that times 7 billion people, where the systems of the world absolutely, totally shut down. Not just this, this forced shutdown that we saw in the last two years with COVID and everything. That, that is still killing people. There are people dying every day as a result of the shutdown. But nobody's counting them. Nobody's looking at those numbers. Uh, but they're dying every day. Every day. Not because of COVID, but because of the shutdown. But nobody's counting that death toll. Uh, we are under a strong delusion in many areas of our life. And again, the only solution that I've come across in the last three quarters of a century is Christ. But it has to be what Christ really did. If you want to get clean again, you have to start setting up the altars of Abraham, of Jacob, of Moses which is sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and learning to live by faith, hope, and charity. This this is what we need to do. Uh, I won't talk a great deal about the food laws uncleanness. Supposedly pork was unclean. But of course, not even pork. Even swine are symbolic in nature. 
but they were unclean to eat. You weren't even to be touching them. You weren't, you had to wash your feet when you came home. If you've been out where the pigs have been roaming and all this stuff, because they were ridden with parasites. And, uh, uh, also the touching of, uh, dead bodies and everything like that depends on what they died of. Well, you're going to have that diagnosed and figured out and everything, but you couldn't even touch them because you might be contaminated. And, but it wasn't a spiritual contamination. That was an actual physical, uh, contamination. And on our page on Unclean, we have somewhat of a study on what does it mean to touch the carcasses uh, of an unclean beast. Well, of course, now we're facing the mark of the beast. Most people already have it. You can't get into banking without it. You can't get into the marketplace. You can't start a business, generally speaking, without it. You have to be, you know, under the radar if you want to do that. You already have your number, and that number is connected to all the other numbers throughout, you know, Australia and and England and everything through treaty. We've explained all this. Go read our articles on Mark of the Beast. It has links to all kinds of other articles. Uh, you, you will even find it hard to travel. You can't get ID or anything without that number. Everything is tied to that number. But what makes it the number of the beast is that the beast operates not by faith, open charity like the government of Moses and the people that were following Jacob and the people that were round about Abraham. They, they operate by force and Abraham and Jacob and Moses operated by charity. And this is why it's so important, why we started with our article on sophistry and on altars, that everybody understand that the altars of Moses and the altars of Abraham were systems of social welfare. Once you begin to realize that, everything begins to change. The reason you gather together, the reason you organize congregations of ten, the reason why you connect those congregations of ten with other congregations the reason why you give to charity, the reason why you give it all. It is not ethical to force your neighbor to contribute. You steal the breath of God from your neighbor when you take away their right to choose. You make them a thing, a person, a thing. This this is this has been the case since the beginning of time, it was, uh, uh, it was funny that one of my favorite quotes, which is from Archibald McLeish, uh, who worked for FDR, believe it or not, <laughs> is that without that power of choice, a person, you know, a, a man is not a man, but a person. He becomes the thing. He becomes that merchandise that uh, Peter talks about. And if we take away the right of our neighbor to choose, to choose to give when he chooses to give, to share when he chooses to share, if we take away that right, we will lose that right. And, of course, FDR was taking away that right, but everybody went along with it. Yet they signed up 
just like people signed up with Herod and his system of Corbin. Social Security is a system of Corbin. It's a system of sacrifice, that's for sure. You have to sacrifice. You pay into it. But you also waive a right to a portion of your labor. You're, you, you now owe a portion of your labor to the government of the federal government, just like the Israelites owed a portion of their labor to the government of Pharaoh. That was one of the things they were missing also in Jordan Peterson. We'll revisit that too. Is They thought that Pharaoh made them slaves in Egypt. No, they made themselves slaves in Egypt. They did that way back in the days of Joseph. Now the Pharaoh, this new Pharaoh that did not know Joseph, made their bondage even more grievous. But they were already in bondage. Well, today you can open up a paper, you can listen on the net. Everybody's bondage is getting more grievous. And the only thing you can do about it is repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is what we're telling you about. We'll be right back. Well, welcome, welcome back to the Keys of the Kingdom. Anyway, uh, I mentioned that Archibald McLeish, and during the break, I, I, I looked up the quote. It's, he says, freedom is the right to choose, the right to create for oneself the alternative of choice. Without the possibility of choice, the exercise of choice, a man is not a man, but a member, an instrument, a thing. And when... The sons of Jacob threw Joseph into a pit and sold him into bondage and refused to hear his cries of anguish. They were condemning themselves to be snared in a similar pit of bondage and servitude. And Reuben admits this, that this... When they were having to go into the bondage of Egypt, at the time of Joseph, in the time of the famine, they, he admitted that this was coming upon them because they would not hear the cries of anguish of their brother. And they sold their brother into slavery, and they themselves went into slavery at the time of Joseph. Now, understanding that story is important if it leads you to understand that if you're willing to take away the choice of your neighbor as to when and who to whom he's going to contribute, then if you're willing to take that choice away from him, it will be taken away from you, and it has been taken away from you. And it's going to get worse and worse. You're not free. In America, you're not free in Australia. And, and many people do not want freedom. They don't want the responsibility that goes along with freedom and the energy expense that it requires to remain free. See, remember, freedom is the right to choose. 
the right to create for oneself the alternative of choice. Without the possibility of choice and the exercise of choice, a man is not a man, but a member, an instrument, a thing. And you've got the number to prove it. That you're an instrument and a thing and a member, a person. That's what a person is defined as, is a member. In a system, you have been caught in the net. You are being dragged down into the pit. We call it the New World Order or the Great Reset or whatever. But you're already caught and being washed away with the filthy waters of unrighteousness. And it's time that you repented and gather together and grant back to your neighbor his right to choose. If you're out there creating doctrines, establishing doctrines that don't have anything to do with faith, hope, and charity and loving your neighbor as yourself and loving life and loving the God that created you, and you say, well, you got, you got to do our doctrine. You got to follow our doctrine. You got to say it the way we say it. You're taking away the choice of others. People are always asking, well, does your church do this? Does your church do that? Do you require this? Do you require that? I require that you love one another and that you love God. But I only require that because that's what my God requires. I require. <laughs> And I'm not the policeman of it. The Holy Spirit is the policeman of it. So we have to start seeing that to take away the choice of your neighbor takes away what God endowed him with. And as you judge, so shall it be judged with you. Your rights will be taken away, and they are taken away. But now if you want to hear the cries of your neighbor, you won't hear that if you've got the TV up too loud in your house. Because <laughs> the TV's not going to point out all the people that are dying today, that, uh, that are suffering from, from the COVID escapade. I'll refer to it as an escapade. Uh, our, our journey into delusion. Uh, the mass formation of psychosis. But... There's probably no, and the communists were right, that religion has become the opiate of the people. They want to believe, oh, well, I'm, I'm this, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. I go to this church. I do these things. I, but you're still an idolater compared to the early Christians. Because you're still going to the men who exercise authority one over the other. The early church gathered in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, took care of one another. Uh, on the other show that I do in the afternoon, somebody uh, wanted me to let them on to the call, but I never did see them make their call-in number. That in the afternoon will take call-ins, hopefully. Um, the early church would not eat of the tables of those public temples of Rome, of Corinth, of Greece, of you know all the other city-states of Greece, they would not eat of those public temples and they were hated for it. They would not take the free bread, the welfare benefits, the dainties, you know, of, of Caesar. 
They would not take those things. What are the dainties? You know, if you go and and you read, uh, you know, uh, Proverbs. Proverbs 23, when thou sittest and eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee. Is FDR not a ruler? What, what What's he going to give you in his free bread system? He's going to give you what he's taken away from others. What What did Constantine do when you became a part of the Church of Constantine? Who was the bishop of bishops of the Church of Constantine? He wasn't the bishops of the bishops of Christianity. Because Christianity had no bishop that exercised authority one over the other. Because we were forbidden to do that. But the Church of Constantine, they could do that. Which is why he had to exile some of his bishops who were withholding grain shipments for the people who sat and ate with the bishops of that ruler who funded their early welfare system that was starting to use charity again but was still using the power of Caesar to take away from others to fund that. We see that again with uh, King Philip, uh, Marie Antoinette's uh, brother, who was the king in Austria, that he wanted to move marriage from the church to the state. He wanted the marriage contract to be a state contract, a government contract. Before, it was a contract between the party. It wasn't a church contract. It was a contract between the parties. And the the union was simply registered with the church. It says this even in Catholic canon law. It says that the church is not a party to the marriage of a man and a woman. They are the parties. But Philip wanted to make your marriage is a part of the state, and the state would be a party to the union. But the church balked at this, and they said they weren't going to do it. So you know what he did? He said, well, we're not going to... The government of King Philip would not donate any money to the church until they agreed to it. That was the birth of marriage license in our, for our modern time. I mean, they had marriage license back in Rome, but they had a lot of things back in Rome that we shouldn't have today. But back to Proverbs 23, 1. When thou sittest and eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee. And put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. Be not desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful meats. That's the net that is spread before you, which we also see in Proverbs. In one ten, Consent not. Don't go that way. Proverbs is constantly saying this. Eat not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, a covetous eye. Neither desire thou his dainty meats. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. Do you think Klaus Schwab's heart is with you? You have no other table. 
Your church is not a table anymore. Your church is riding the beast. It is dependent upon the beast system to take care of the needy of its church. It's widows, it's orphans. And uh, I could give you stories about that, just recently stories. Widows that we've taken, you know, care of and are caring for now. And they're doing way better. I don't know, because they're, we're just doing it to widows who aren't even a part of our church. We're doing it because that should be in your nature. But if you were organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, you would be a part of the church established by Christ. You'd be part of His church. You wouldn't be a part of my church. You'd be a part of His church. Because it's not my church. And this is why Christ commanded that they do this. And if the Christian, early Christians hadn't done it, they would not have survived the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Now, if you, if you went to our page on dainties or on knife, knife to your throat, we have a page called knife where it talks about this Proverbs 23. We'd also get down to where they talk about in Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea and Nahum and Habakkuk and even in Revelation, the cities of blood, the flesh pots and the cauldrons, which is another thing that the, they, they missed. They missed it in their symposium at Jordan Peterson's little group. The flesh pots and cauldrons are equated with the cities of blood. They are the systems that take a bite out of one another. You know, so that they can get their student loans paid off. So they can get their mother or grandmother taken care of. So that they can, you know, uh, pay their rent, buy their groceries, get their food stamps. It's all a system of social welfare based on force. All contrary to the Bible from the beginning to the end, yet they don't see it. Their eyes are darkened. And here, we'll tell you about it. If you can find other people telling the same thing, speaking the same thing, let us know. We would like to network with them. All the people round about us who want to follow the ways of Jacob, the ways of Abraham, the ways of Moses, the ways of Jesus Christ. They don't want to follow the ways of false religion of unsound doctrines. Why are they unsound? Because they're not based on faith, hope, and charity. They're based on rituals and ceremonies that have been unmoored from their meaning. Where they speak sweet words, but vomit is what is in their mouth. You know, which is a reference again to Proverbs for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. The morsel which thou hast eaten shalt thou vomit up and lose thy sweet words. Speak not in the ears of fools. Well, I'm on the radio. I can't control who's listening. <laughs> for he will despise the wisdom of thy words. But the fool will not hear. Will you hear? Will you gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands without trying to muffle 
those that you congregate with without trying to regulate those you congregate with. Remove not the old landmarks and enter not into the field of the fatherless. Because either our father is the God of heaven or it's the fathers of the earth. And Jesus said that we should not get our daily bread from the fathers of the earth. That we should get our daily bread from the Father who art in heaven. Hallow his name. Separate his name. You you can't separate his name if you're still practicing idolatry. If you're still engaged in covetous practices. You're actually still citizens of the cities of blood. The cities of the cauldron where it says, and we be the flesh are spoken of by the prophets. A theme repeated throughout history of man. From the bondage of Egypt to the golden calf, from the Nimrod's Babylon. Nimrod was the mighty provider instead of the Lord to Caesar's free bread and the imperial cult of Rome and its granaries, just like the Pharaoh had his temple granaries. So we need to return to those charitable practices of pure religion. And fast from the covetous practices of the world and the welfare systems of Egypt and FDR and LBJ. But we need to, in order to protect our family, we need to be caring about other people's families as much as we care about our own. Can we do that? You know, uh, if we look at uh, Micah, Three one, And I said, here I pray you, O head of Jacob. See, Jacob. And ye princes of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know judgment? Who hate the good and love the evil? Who pluck off their skin from off of them and their flesh from off their bones? who also eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off of them. And they break their bones and chop them in pieces as for the pot and as flesh within the cauldron. So that's Micah who's referring back to that cauldron where we be the flesh. Yet when it was brought up by Jordan Peterson, Dennis Prager said, well, no, it's it's just uh, they ate a lot of fish in Goshen. <laughs> and so the pots were just, that. that's all it is. Pay no attention here. You know, you can go on and read in Micah. Then shall they cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time. As they have behave themselves ill in their doings. Verse 5, Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err and bite with their teeth and cry, Peace! And he that putteth not into their mouth, they even prepare war against him. Therefore, night shall be unto you, that ye shall not have vision. You won't see it. 
and it shall be dark unto you that you shall not divine. You, you, you're not going to listen to the revelation of the Holy Spirit in your own heart. You're going to ignore what I'm saying. And the sun shall go down over the prophets and the day shall be dark over them. Then shall the seers be ashamed and the diviners confounded. Yea, they shall all cover their lips and there is no answer of God. But truly I am full of power by the spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might to declare unto Jacob his transgressions and to Israel his sin. And the sin is that we've been coveting our neighbor's goods through legal charity for almost a hundred years. And, and people don't want to see it. They don't want to admit it. You can, you can read Habakkuk. Shall not all these take up a parable against him and the taunting proverb against him and say woe to him that increaseth that which is not his? How long? And to him that ladeth himself with thick clay shall they not rise up suddenly that shall bite thee and awake that shall vex thee and thou shalt be the booties unto them. So we, so Habakkuk is talking about those who increases that which is not his. You increase the benefits that you're receiving all the time. Everybody wants to increase the benefits of what they're receiving. That is only paid by what is not yours. Is paid by what is your neighbor's. How can we miss this? Every single book of the Bible <laughs> is telling us the same as message. Habakkuk goes on in verse 8, Because thou hast spoiled many nations, all the remnant of the people shall spoil thee. Because of men's blood and for the violence of the land of the city. The city is the terror, the city of blood. And of all that dwell therein. So you, are you of the city? Are you just in the city? Are you following the ways of righteousness? Because Habakkuk goes on in verse 9, Woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness to his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. Thou hast consulted shame to thy house by cutting off many people and hast sinned against thy soul. For the sun shall cry out of the wall and the beam out of the timber shall answer it. Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establisheth a city by iniquity. That's what FDR did. That's what LBJ did. That's what, you know, I don't know the names of the guys, but that's what they were doing in Australia even before FDR. That's what they've been, that's what they tried to do in the days of Lady Godiva. But she said it would be destruction. And she gave of her own wealth to establish a network of hospitals 
libraries, school. That's why she's the patron saint of architects, because she did so much building with her wealth. She took, like Jacob, took his silver and his, these golden idols. I don't know if they were golden, but we know they were at least silver and the rings. And he hid it in what? The oak tree or the system of charity in such a, that, where he, he funded the system of social welfare in such a, by hiding, you know, by secreting that gift, you know, anonymously giving that gift, so to speak, except for he also built an altar in order to continue this process of taking care of those around about him and the terror of God protected him. This is what we have to do. We have to build that alternative system for those who are of little faith to take care of the needy of society through charity, which is what made America great. Because we used to do that. Go go read our article on Alexis Tocqueville or legal charity or any of those things and we'll link you to those. That's what Americans were doing. They were taking care of all the social welfare in America through charity. That's what made us America great. Not the Constitution. Not The Constitution allowed us to do that. But the Constitution wasn't written according to the Constitution that we were told to write in Deuteronomy 17. I think starting in verse 14. You read that. Because you haven't done that. We need to repent and go back the other way. uh, For the brethren. To to be called unto liberty. As Galatians 5.13 says. We, We need to be called unto charity. We need to create that alternative system. And we've laid that out in the books, which are all free online, but we don't have time to go into that. So I'm just going to have to say peace unto your house and may God be with you. See you on the network. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.